word of the Lord. We're looking today in the book of Daniel, chapter number three this morning. Daniel, chapter number three. We're going to begin reading with verse number 16 today. Daniel, chapter three. We're going to begin reading with verse number 16. While you're getting uh, uh, your Bibles open and ready this morning, let me just uh, say one real quick thank you to uh, uh, to Ricky Lewis and all of the uh, people, I said, started to say all the men, but I noticed at least one lady that was out here yesterday uh, working on our grounds, our landscape committee. We love you and appreciate you so very, very much. Encourage some of you to be a part of the landscape committee. The more we have involved, the less that you have to do. And there's a lot of grounds to keep looking good. And the more we have, the more we can do and make it look that much Better. And uh, wow, what an incredible time we had here on Friday night, this ladies' event. There were over 300 people in the building Friday night. Every year this thing gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and uh, it's exciting, and we appreciate everyone that helped make this a reality, especially my wife who works tirelessly. It's actually a year, all-year thing for her, and I'm going to tell you the last uh, several weeks before this uh, happens, it's unbelievable what's going on in her heart and in her mind. So we appreciate all the incredible work that she does. All right, the book of Daniel, chapter number 3 this morning. And we're going to begin reading with verse number 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. I want you to notice the first three words of verse number 18. But if not. But if not. The title of my message this morning is, If God can do anything, why doesn't he do something? If God can do anything, why doesn't he do something? Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are able, Lord, to do exceeding and abundantly and above all that we could ever ask, all that we could ever think. And Father, we know that you are all powerful, that nothing is too hard for you. God, I just pray today that you will help us today. Lord, your anointing, Lord, will rest upon Lord, the message and upon the messenger, Lord, today. Lord, there is a group of people, Lord, today... Some individuals especially that des- desperately need to hear the word of the Lord this morning. And I pray that you'll use it to work in their life today. We ask all these things for the glory of God. And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. You may be reseated this morning. God can do anything. How many would agree with me this morning? Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14 says, is there anything too hard For God, is there anything that God cannot do? Well, the question that I would like to address today is, if God can do anything, then why doesn't he do something? If God has the power to change my circumstances, then then why doesn't he? If God has the power to fix things in my life, then why doesn't he do it? In Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, Our God can. He can. But they said, we don't know if he will. Amen? I need your help this morning. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, Our God can. But we're not sure if he will. 
I want us to attempt to answer our question today, and I want us to use this situation found in Daniel chapter number 3. So I want to call your attention this morning to four things that I find in this story. First of all, I want us to look at the predicament. Let's look at the predicament. King Nebuchadnezzar, we know the story, he, he set up a golden idol in Babylon. He made a law and a decree that any time that music was played, that everybody had to bow down to this golden image or idol that he had created. And anyone who refused to obey this law, anyone that was unwilling to bow down before the image would be burned alive in a furnace of fire. The Bible says that everybody bowed down. Everybody, that is, besides three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And upon learning of their disobedience to this law, the king brings these three men in to see him. And he gave them another opportunity. He gave them a second chance to bow before his false god. Perhaps they didn't understand. Perhaps they didn't know what was going on. And so he gave them another opportunity, brought them before him and said, Hey guys, if you will only bow when the music is played, I'm going to give you another opportunity. And if you'll only bow down the next time that the music is played, you will not have to go in to the furnace of fire. What a predicament. What will they do? And how will they respond? Because they understand that all they have to do, they know they've been caught. They know that their life is on the line, but now they're given another opportunity and all they're going to have to do is bow. What a predicament. What will they do? How will they respond? Let's take a couple of moments this morning and talk about the predicaments of life. Let me understand that we're going to have some predicaments. We're going to have some problems. We're going to have some dilemmas. We're going to have some difficult situations in our life. The question I have this morning is where do these predicaments come from? Where do they come from? Well, let me suggest at least four different sources for the predicaments in life. Let me suggest, first of all, that a lot of them come from Satan, don't they? A lot of the predicaments, a lot of our Problems, a lot of our difficulties come from Satan. How many understand that Satan is the mastermind behind a whole lot of our trouble? 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Your adversary or your enemy, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Jesus said in John 10 and 10, The thief or, or Satan comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. You see, Satan is notorious for arranging circumstances. And most of all, Satan is notorious for taking advantage of circumstances and situations that are already prevailing in our life. And he takes advantage of those circumstances, takes advantage of those situations, and uses those to tempt us and hopefully trip us not only do predicaments come from Satan, but let me suggest to you that they also come from the Savior. Oh, I don't know about that, Pastor. I, I would agree with that first one, man. Yeah, man, I believe that the devil is the mastermind. I believe he's behind all of the difficulties and problems and dilemmas of my life. And now you are telling me that sometimes Jesus sends me trouble. I'm telling you this morning, sometimes trouble is sent to us by the Savior. 
Sometimes Jesus arranges circumstances. Sometimes Jesus arranges situations that are, that are less than desirable in our life. You say, you have any scripture for that? Well, I sure do. I wouldn't have told you if I didn't. Mark chapter 6 and verse 45, it says that Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go to the other side. The King James Version says that he constrained them. He forced them. Why? Why did Jesus have to force the disciples to get into the boat and set sail? Because they were fishermen by trade. And fishermen by trade were able to look at the sky and be able to discern the sky. And they discerned the sky. And they, these fishermen, uh, they could see that there was a storm brewing. Uh, and they could see that Jesus was sending them right into the middle of a storm. Verse 48, they were in serious Trouble, say serious trouble. They were in serious trouble. Rowing hard and struggling, say struggling. And struggling against the wind and the water. The question I have for you this morning, who was the source behind their predicament? Jesus was. He he was the one that sent them into their Predicament. Let me tell you something, friends. Sometimes we rebuke the very thing that was sent to us by God. Notice another source of our predicaments. How about, how about the saints? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's the saints. Sometimes it's our own brothers and sisters. Amen. How many understand this morning? And I, I don't think we fully understand because if we fully understood what I'm about to say, we would act different. We would speak different. We would be different. Everything we do and everything that we say affects other people. Every decision that we make in our life has an effect on somebody else. Sometimes we find ourselves in a predicament that was brought on by somebody else. How many understand that if our spouse behave or misbehaves if our spouse misbehaves we also suffer for it if our kids mess up guess what it's not just our kids messing up but it also has an effect on us if our boss makes unwise decisions if our boss mismanages the business we suffer Right along with him. Paul stood up in Acts chapter 27 and verse 21. It says, Paul stood up in the midst of them and he said to them, Men, you should have listened to me. You should have listened to me. And we would not be in this disastrous Paul told them not to set sail. Paul told them of the impending storm that was coming. Paul warned them. And they did not listen to Paul. And they went on and set sail. And they went into a horrendous storm. And Paul said, hey guys, I tried to tell you. If you'd only listened to me, we would not have been in this storm. And then another source of our predicaments is self. Huh? You see, many, if not most, of our predicaments we bring on ourselves. Through poor choices, through unwise decisions, through a lack of planning, through, through being impulsive, 
through selfishness, through greed, through jealousy, and the list goes on and on and on. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You see, the law of sowing and reaping works not only for the good things in our life, and if we sow good things in our life, we will reap good things in our life. But the law of sowing and reaping doesn't just work in the things of the, that are good and pleasant and awesome in our life, but they also work in the bad things. You see, if you sow bad seeds, you're going to reap a bad harvest. And let me tell you something else. If you fail to sow any seeds, you're not going to have a harvest. And some people cry the blues. Oh, when they watch others reaping a great harvest. Oh, they are so blessed. And, oh, they just have so much and I have so little. And oh, they cry out and oh, they, they, they play the unfair card. It's unfair. But see, the problem is they have no harvest because they never planted any seeds. Talk about the predicament. Predicaments come from one. Of at least four sources, Satan, the Savior, the saints, self. For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it seemed to come from a combination of sources. Satan was no doubt the mastermind behind it all. But just as God uses people, the devil uses people. Just as God does his work through people, the devil does his work through people as well. No doubt Satan was the mastermind behind this plot. But he planted the idea in King Nebuchadnezzar's head. And he used King Nebuchadnezzar. And it was other people who informed the king that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was not playing the game. Not cooperating with his law. Daniel chapter 3 verse 12 tells us, What I just said. All right, we've talked enough about the predicament this morning. So let's talk a little bit about the second thing this morning. Let's talk about the power. Let's talk about the power. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stands before the king, it's a matter of life or death. And the king says, hey, fellas, you don't have to die, and you don't have to burn up in a furnace of fire. All you've got to do is just bow when the music is played, and and if you'll do it, all will be forgiven. And how did these three Hebrew boys, how did they respond to the king? Verse number 17, they responded to the king. They said, our God whom we serve, he is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. You've got a fiery furnace that might be able to destroy man, but we've got a God that is able to deliver us. It don't matter what you do. It don't matter what you decree. It don't matter what you say. Our God is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Hey, they declared to King, our God is powerful. He can deliver us from this furnace of fire. Paul said it like this in Ephesians 3 and 20. God is able to do exceeding and abundantly and above all that we could ever ask or we could ever think. We're talking about the power right now. Is there anything, I ask, too hard for God? Let me suggest four things that God has power over. Four areas this morning where God has power over. Help me understand that God has power over disease. 
He has power over disease. Read through the Gospels and you'll receive, you'll read story after story after story of how powerful Jesus is in the area of disease and in the area of physical infirmity. The Bible talks about that Jesus opened the eyes of the blind. The Bible says that he unstopped the deaf ears. The Bible said that he made the cripple to walk again. The Bible said that he made the leper to be cleansed. The Bible declares Jesus as our healer. I'm telling you this morning that Jesus has the power today. I'm telling you that you are, if you're here this morning and you are in need of healing today, I'm telling you that Jesus has the power today to heal your body. Not only does he have power over disease, he has power over demons. Over demons. Oh, Jesus has so much power that demons literally tremble at the very mention of the name Jesus. Let me stop here and just say this for just a moment this morning. Friend, if Satan has set up a stronghold in your house because your child or your spouse has brought the devil into your house through alcohol or drugs or pornography, if somebody in your home, if somebody in your house has opened the door and invited the devil, and I'm telling you this morning that we get it, if we get involved or anyone in our house gets involved in the things of the enemy, we open the door and all we got to do is put a crack in the door and the devil will come in. And I'm telling you that if your spouse or if one of your children, if they have opened the door and the devil has shown up in your house, let me tell you this morning through whether it might be alcohol, drugs, pornography, any, any other way that they have opened the door to the devil, let me just encourage you today to go through your house and to anoint every doorpost, amen, with oil in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you to take authority over the devil in the name of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you that you can run him out of your house. The power of Jesus and his name is more powerful than the power of the enemy. Let me tell you that God has power over disasters. Disasters in Mark 4 where, where the disciples were, were uh, encountering a disastrous storm. Verse 39, Jesus rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, silence be still. And the Bible said that the wind suddenly stopped and there was a great The wisdom writer wrote in Proverbs 30 and 4, Who but God goes up to heaven and comes down again? Who holds the wind in his fist? Who wraps wraps up the ocean in his cloak? Who has created the entire world? Are you encountering a storm? In your life this morning. Are you in the midst of a disaster right now? I'm telling you this morning that God has power over disasters. He has the power to speak to your disaster and say enough is enough. Peace be still. But not only does God have power over disease and demons and disaster. But he even has power over death. Over death. In John chapter 11 the story is recorded of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. After Lazarus had been dead, buried in the tomb for four days. In Luke chapter 7 Jesus interrupts a funeral procession and raises a widow's son. From the dead. We're, we're talking about the power right now. Listen, friend, God has the power to do anything. I said, God has the power to do anything. But the question for today is if God can do anything, then why doesn't He do something? 
Well, I want to try and answer that this morning. This is not meant to be a total answer, but at least a partial answer to this question. We're going to try and answer it in point number three this morning as we talk about the possibility. The possibility. In verse 17 of Daniel chapter 3, these three Hebrew boys declare, Our God is able. Our God is able to deliver us from this fiery furnace. No ifs, no ands, no buts about it. Our God is able. Our God has the power. No doubt in our mind. There is no doubt in our mind what God is able and what God is capable of doing. But. Say but. 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 Verse 18. But if. God can, He's able, He's capable, we know it, no doubt in our mind, but if not. What were they saying? Our God can, but will He? Our God can, but will will He? I don't think the hyperfaith boys read this story. Sounds like a negative confession. No. It's called the truth. Just tell the truth. Amen. Just tell the truth. And that's what they did. Our God is able. We know it. He's capable, no doubt. But if not, God can do anything. God has all power. And he does. How many agree this morning? God can do anything. God has all power. But let me ask you, does he heal every sick person? I didn't say can he. I said does he. No. <laughs> you think he does, I'll take you to the hospital. I'll take you to the nursing home. I'll, I'll take you to 10, 15, 20 of our members. Take you to their house. You tell me they're healed. Tell me that. No, they're not. God don't do a halfway job. Well, they're healed. It just hadn't manifested. If they're healed, it's manifested. Does he heal everybody that's sick? Does he, does he rescue all, rescue us out of all of our trouble? Does he drop money out of the sky for us every time we need money? Can he? Can he? Yes. Yes, he can. Is anything too hard? Is there anything God cannot do? Well, if God can, why doesn't he? If God can do anything, then why doesn't he do something? Well, let me suggest three possible answers to this question. Let me suggest suggest to you today, sometimes God doesn't do anything, number one, in order to assess us. In order to assess us. The problems and difficulties of life reveal what we're made out of. 
Peter bragged to Jesus, I'll never deny you. I'll go to prison with you. Oh, Lord, I'm your right hand man. I'm your man full of faith and power for the hour. Lord, I'll even die for you if it comes down to that. Jesus said, all right, Pete, prove it. You got a big mouth. Now put your money where your mouth is. Hey, Pete, let's assess you. And let's see what you're made out of. And Peter fails the test. Not once. Not twice. But three times. God bragged to Satan about how great Job was. The devil said, oh, 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 but who wouldn't serve you if you blessed them like you've blessed Job? And the devil said to God, said, you've built a hedge a protection around Job so that I cannot get to him. I, I can't test him. I can't try him. I can't, I can't do anything to him. And, and the devil said to God, take down the hedge and let me try him. Let's assess him. Let's assess him. Let's see what he is made of. And the devil said, before I'm through with him, he'll be cursing you. And God removed the hedge of protection from Job. And the devil turned Job every which way but loose. And perhaps, perhaps no other man has gone through what the devil put on Job. Did God have the power to stop it? You see, God not only had the power to stop it, He had the power to prevent it. If God can do anything, why doesn't He do something? Sometimes God chooses to do nothing in order to assess us, in order to prove us, oh, oh, to see what we are made of, to test our faith. And Job said in chapter 23 of Job, in verse number 10, when the, when he has tried me, when he has what? When he has tried me, Job said, I will come forth as gold. They ask us today, what are we made out of? Do we only serve God in the good times? What happens to us when the loaves and the fish stop multiplying? What happens to us when disaster strikes in our lives? What will be be revealed when we are assessed? We're talking about the possibility right now. Yes, although God can, He doesn't always choose to do what we want Him to. Why? Notice another possibility. Another one is simply that adversity is good for us. Adversity is good for us. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Somebody said that adversity builds character. No, not really. Adversity reveals character. It shows us who we are. Shows us who we are. Shows us our true characteristics. Oh, our true characteristics is revealed in times of adversity. Let me, let me tell you this morning, just watch how people react to their problems. How do they respond when things go wrong in their, in their life? Not only does adversity show us who we are, but it also shows us who we are not. We may think we're somebody. We may think we're something hot on a stick. But you let us get in the fire. Amen. You just let adversity come and try us. And it will not only show us who we are, but it will show us who we are not. Yeah, Pete, you think you're somebody. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's assess you. Let's give you some adversity. Let's, let's put, you on the, put you on trial. He found out who he was not. 
Friend, you can boast and brag all day long about what great faith you have. How many understand that it's easy to preach sermons and sing songs about what we will do? But how do we act when the, when the rubber meets the road? It's easy to boast about what we would do or how we would re- react if a certain thing ever happened to us. It's a different story when the thing actually knocks on our door. It's amazing to me. Something happened to somebody and the way they react, somebody else will say, well, I can't believe they acted like that. Oh, I can't believe they react like that. I don't say anything, but I'm thinking about, about you know, a couple weeks before when something half of that happened to them and how they reacted. <laughs> a lot of people are like, you know, that uh, skunk that, you know, told the tomcat, your breath stinks. You know what I'm saying? I mean, good night. <laughs> I'm a skunk. I ain't talking about nobody's breath. Some of you at lunch will get it. Amen. The rest of you just choom. It's a different story when that thing knocks on our door. I'm telling you this morning, actually, adversity is good for us. And let me prove that in the word of the Lord. Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5. He says, let us rejoice. Say rejoice. Let us rejoice when we run into problems. Wow. And trials. For we know that they help us. We know they what? Paul said trouble helps us. Problems help us. Adversity helps us. Adversity is a good thing. Paul said, let us rejoice when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And then when we get endurance, that develops strength of character. And then character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. And James said it again like this in James chapter 1 verse 2 through 4. He said, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. How come we don't jump up and click our heels when trouble knocks on our door? People say, oh, I'm a man or a woman of the word. Oh, yeah? Well, this is in there. When trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. And so James says, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete in need of nothing. Hear me this morning. Adversity is actually good for us because it reveals our flaws. And it lets us know where and what we need to work on in our life. And as we work on these flaws, we become better people. We're talking about the possibility right now although we are totally convinced God can the possibility still exists that he won't at least not when we want him to and why won't he it might be that, 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 that he's using our trial to assess us. It, it might be the fact that adversity is actually good for us and still another possibility is that maybe God has an alternate plan Now, our plan is always, get us out. That's always our plan. God, get us out. His plan might be, no, I'm going to get you through. Isaiah 55 and 9, one of my favorite scriptures, one of my life verses, one of many. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. 
Friend, if I have learned one thing in my many years of walking with God, it's this. God's way is best. God's way is best. If you're young this morning, listen to somebody that's been walking with God for a few years now, quite a few years now, and have learned this valuable lesson, and that is God's way is best. And God knows what He is doing. Now, let me tell you, I will never understand God's ways. I said, I will never understand God's ways, but I have learned. And let me tell you, let me tell you that it took me many, many years to learn this, but I, but I have learned this this morning. And that is, God may not do what I want Him to do, and He may not do things the way I think that it ought to be done, and God's timing never matches mine. But I've learned to trust God because He has proven to me, He's proven to be right over and over and over and over again. Let me tell you that I have a history, a history with God. I have a history with God. And history, my history with God has proven that God is faithful. It has proven to me that God is right. And so when God tells me to turn left, when my flesh screams at me to turn right, I've learned I better turn left. And when God tells me to stop, when everything within me says, Go, man, go, I've learned I better stop. Because everything that I have done my way didn't turn out so well. Every time I have done things God's way, it has always turned out right. Seldom does God do the obvious, but He always does the right thing. There's no doubt God can. The question is, will He? And if He doesn't, it just might mean that He has an alternate plan. And yes, He does have a plan. Jeremiah 29 and 11. Oh, God says, oh, I, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a future. And a hope. Let's look at the last thing I see in this story this morning. And it's the proclamation. And the proclamation is found in verse 18. As these three Hebrew boys say, says, Let it be known to you, O king. Let it be known to you, O king. Let what be known? Two things. Number one, let it be known who is in charge. Verse 17, he will deliver us from your hand, O king. Notice he didn't say he'll deliver us from the furnace. He didn't say our God is going to deliver us from the fire. He said, be it, let it be known who's in charge. Our God, whom we serve, He will deliver us. They said, He's able to deliver us from the furnace. But if not, be it known, He will deliver us from your hand. They were saying, if we go into the fire, King, it won't be your hand that puts us in the fire. You are not in charge of our life, O King. God is. 
And if we go into the fire, it won't be because you put us in the fire. It will be because God put us in the fire. And listen, if God puts us in the fire, He'll get in the fire with us. And Daniel 3 and 25, the king exclaims, Look, he says, look, he said, Hey, help me count, did I not... Cast three men into the fire. They said, yes, O king, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But he said, oh, look, he said, I see four men. And he said, the man, the form, form of the fourth man is like unto the Son of God. Let it be known, O king. Let what be known? Number two, let it be known we are Committed. Verse 18, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods, we will not worship the golden image which you have set up. Be it known, let it be known, let it be clear. We're not fair weather saints. How? Let it be known, we're not little mamby pamby penny waste. Oh, uh, you know, saints, amen. Oh, who bail out when the going gets a little bit tough. Let it be known. Mark it down in your little book. Let it be known. Come heaven, hell, or high water. Furnace or no furnace. Oh, deliverance or not. God does or God doesn't. Let it be known. We're committed. We're not going to bend. We're not going to budge. We're not going to bow. Well, give the Lord a shout of praise in His house today. Amen. If I could have Pastor Braden back, please. Amen. Help me out, ushers. Pastor, if God can do anything, why doesn't He do something? Let me ask you this morning. Who says, I know he's better looking at me, but don't look at him, look at me. You're getting better looking, Braden. <laughs> Pastor, if God can do anything, why doesn't he do something? Listen to me this morning. Listen, 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 listen. Who says God isn't doing something? Who says God isn't doing something. Let me tell you this morning, he might not be doing what you want him to do. He might not be working as fast as you want him to. You may not like what he is doing. You may not understand what he is doing. You may not even be able to see or hear or feel what he's doing. Let me assure you this morning, God is at work. God is at work. Would you stand with me in the presence of the Lord this morning? Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed today. Very quickly this morning, I'm only going to take a moment in this, but I'm not going to omit it today. If you're here today, as every head is bowed, every eye.